first things first, we've got a small announcement before the podcast starts. Or not small, it's kind of big. The Techish Podcast is joining the HubSpot Podcast Network. So we're going to be alongside a, a bunch of other amazing podcasts like My First Million, Side Hustle Pro, and a whole bunch of other secret gems of podcasts that you're going to love to hear about. So first things first, don't worry, nothing's going to change dramatically about the Techish Podcast. We're still going to be the same old podcast, except that from time to time, we're going to big up a whole bunch of dope podcasts that you may not have heard of. The first one I've got to shine the light on is called Inclusion and Marketing by Sonia Thompson. It's a great must-listen podcast for any marketing professional. I tuned in and I heard so many gems within the first five minutes. I was like, damn. So the first one I heard was... The first thing you need to know about me is that I'm not you, Gem. Second one I heard is inclusion requires decentering yourself. Essentially, listen, your lived experience is not going to be everyone else's lived experience. And if you're trying to market to the general population, you definitely got to decenter yourself so that you can fully target all your potential consumers. So check it out, inclusion and marketing on all good podcast apps. The link is in the show notes. Go support that. Yo everyone, welcome back, brand new Techish. It's a special episode where we're going to do a year in review. But before we get started, I'm Michael Bain, CEO of Pocket and Pocket Jobs, and I am joined with... Abbott Desi of Hustle Crew, inclusion education for everyone. Cool, let's get it cracking. Okay, cool. What a year. What a year. 2022. Wow. Will you look back on this year fondly, Abbott Desi, or is this another year just to forget? (laughs) I don't know, like, because we've had a few years just to forget. It's really funny. It's funny that you say that because... 2012 was always like a big year for me. Like I remember, you know, when you look back on years and there are like certain years that just kind of like stand out and you're like, man, that was such a good year. And 2012 was such a year for me. So in my head, I always thought maybe 2022 will also be a big year for me. Maybe you get Uh one good year every decade, who knows? And I think what I am finding is that as you get older and wiser, it's harder to have such like simplified ideas as great year. <laughs> that was a great year. And I feel like the person I was in 2012 is not the person I am in 2022. So I, in some ways it's been a really good year. Other ways, maybe not so much. <laughs> How about you? Has it been a good year? Yeah, you know what? Interesting. So obviously there's different f- parts of life. There's personal, there's business. I would say business-wise, because I guess that's why people kind of listen to us. It's been an interesting year in the sense that my team got bigger, but definitely like the economy changed. And all of a sudden it just became a situation where customers and, and clients just had less money to spend. I started to kind of see the reality of what were massive trends in 2020 and 2021 just kind of disappear. So like obviously within tech, yeah. there was a big boom full stop with the pandemic and everyone kind of being stuck at home that kind of unwound as well and then at the same time also culturally like you know the emphasis on kind of a lot of those promises made during 2020 blm george floyd's yeah yeah, murder like that all kind of disappeared and i'm kind of like and you as well we're kind of at the intersection of like tech and diversity so it's like yo we got double whammy hit basically right so Mm. thankfully like i'm a very frugal and bootstrap type founder so like i never overextended and like there was no layoffs on my team and there was no real pain in that sense but it, it was a situation where you could have easily have been fooled into thinking that you were some kind of tech genius like two years ago and now I think a lot of people oh, are yeah. realizing that like you know what it wasn't because I'm super smart it's just because of the winds that were behind me and now it was reality time now it's probably the real economy to be brutally mm-hmm. honest basically right so I think what I've learned about this year is how important it is to be able to separate like hype from reality. Mm. 
I feel like this has been a year of a lot of things being exposed for what they really are, whether that's NFTs and cryptos and and speculative coins, (laughs) whether that's autonomous vehicles and the reality that they're probably never going to be fully autonomous in our lifetime, you know, slowly starting to emerge. Or whether it's the fact that the metaverse still only has about 10 people logging on every darn day (laughs) because no one's quite ready to go fully virtual yet. I just think this has been a year of realizing that there is a lot of bold visions in our industry and a lot of really exciting stories, but a lot of them are still just that, just vision, just story, not reality. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I saw a super amazing tweet. So it's from a guy called Sean Poirot. He's on my first million. He's actually on the same podcast network as I shout out to the Housebot podcast network. And he talked about basically how there's no smart money. So essentially, mm. it lists basically a lot of the big players that we always kind of talk about, A16Z, Sequoia Capital, Chamath. Yeah. He says, basically, they all made terrible decisions this year at huge yeah. size. There is no smart money. But yet, most will still get richer because they're playing a rigged game. For example, Chamath made a lot of bank off his shitty SPACs as a promoter. And companies like A16Z make billions off their kind of funds just in general because they get management fees. You get like 2% of whatever your fund is. So if you've got a, you know, a $10 billion fee, you're still walking away no matter what. And I think the overall lesson there is, and it ties into what you're saying about, you know, the metaverse, is just basically think for yourself. And I've realized that as well. Yes. It's very easy to get caught into the hype of NFTs and, and crypto and the metaverse. And like, it never really made sense to me. Like, even to you, I remember having these conversations a million times <laughs> before. We're like, are we silly here? Like, are we not smart? Like, I don't understand any of this. I mean, I understand conceptually what they're saying. I'm not like, oh, I don't have the intelligence to understand crypto at a conceptual level. I can understand it. But what I didn't understand was the promise of it. Why is this going to be changed the world? Like, yeah. Why is Come Rocket worth $3 a coin? <laughs> you, know you know what I'm saying? Why I don't understand. And people were kind of looking at me like I was dumb. They're like, oh, bro, you don't get it. It's the future. Decentralized. Yeah, we don't need the government no more. My NFTs are just through the roof. And I was like, you know what? Maybe the laws of gravity have just disappeared. And I just, I'm not smart and young enough to understand this anymore. And this was the year where it was like, you know what? It was all BS to a certain extent and the laws of gravity remain and yeah, there's no smart money. And a lot of it was people playing a rigged game and we were kind of falling for it quite often. Absolutely. What else comes to mind for this year then? Any other big trends that you saw or or stories that you look back with fondness? I think, oh, with fondness. I mean, I don't know if fondness is the right word, but I think another interesting thing that's been happening this year is kind of starting to just like compare and contrast like the reality for founders and this sense of like justice or injustice in the startup landscape. Cause I think, you know, just piggybacking off the conversation we've just had around like hype and the importance of being able to think for yourself, watching like the fallout of FTX and their founder SBF and watching all of the stories come to light around how he conducted himself playing PlayStation during investor calls, living in a what polyamorous relationship with his exec team or whatever, you know, the more that the story un- unfolds, the more I am reminded of why our work is important, because it's still really hard for our underrepresented founders to raise funding, whether you're a woman, person of color. It feels like you never have the right answers for investors. You never have enough data. You never have enough reputation, enough connections. And then here comes a guy (laughs) like a hoodie and sneakers who's proudly multitasking whilst on investor calls, you know, able to raise millions, share stages with people. And it's kind of a sense of relief for me where I was just like, okay, it doesn't make sense. Right. And like, that's fine. Cause people out here trying to justify, like when I was trying to fundraise for my company, you know, the myriad of reasons why it wasn't the system, it was me. (laughs) 
or whatever it might be. And sometimes it's nice to just like have that reality check where you're like, oh no, injustice is everywhere. And the people who are perpetuating it are not operating by laws of reason. They're just operating by emotions or feelings or whatever it might be. And so I don't need to try and rationalize people's behavior because most people are behaving irrationally. Do you think this was the year where frauds found some accountability? You mentioned SBF there. Theranos found Elizabeth Holmes got 11 years in jail. There's been a few fines based off those kind of crypto shenanigans. Yeah. Do you think there was a level, there was an element where kind of you could only defraud the game too much and now some of those people are getting accountability or are they the exception to the rule and there's still a whole bunch of fraud going on out there and the real Gs will never get caught? I definitely think that we've seen a lot of justice happen in some cases, which is like interesting. And I guess that's what the system are there to do. But I feel like there's still a long way to go, right? Like even now, as we're having this conversation in December, we're still wondering, you know, what is going to happen to the team at FTX? And on paper, they told people their capital was at risk. Whether or not there's like a case for fraud there is to be explored. I personally feel like we still have a long way to go. I mean, what do you think? I mean, when Elon Musk came into Twitter and fired everyone and everyone was like, that's illegal, you can't do that. Maybe there's going to be a class action lawsuit. I haven't heard any updates, whether it's happening or not. I feel like there's still a lot of catching up to do for regulators, for policymakers to truly protect people in this current state of tech and capitalism. What do you think? I think think the people that we have seen be arrested and caught were the people that flew too close to the sun. These were the people Mm. that took fraud to a whole nother level. So like SBF kind of messing around with depositor money and fair enough having a fake product and whatnot, right? And people selling bogus NFT and doing rug pulls. But- there was still a whole bunch of investors and class of people who got away with murder. Like I remember being on TikTok and seeing a, a VC on a yeah. 20 minute VC podcast and he was bragging about how he invested like 10,000 or 50,000 into a startup that was had a, a token. And so he was given a token before it was available to anybody else, sells the token. Oh. And then w- when you look at the chart within a month, it's basically worth a tiny, tiny fraction of what it was once worth. Oh, now, is that technically illegal? No, I don't think it is. But it's very scrupulous. Is it ethical? <laughs> Is it ethical? You're selling a token. Is it equity? What is it? What does it represent? Does it represent anything? I don't know. You've basically just sold it to basically Joe Public in a way where there was a lot of dumb retail money. Let's keep it real. Jumping into crypto. You cashed out. Good for you. It's not fraud per se, but I don't... like. There's reasons why we have rules about public markets and how you're Absolutely. able to sell and like lockups and rules and regulations about you know how much transparency about what do you get when you buy this equity? Do you get dividends? Do you get... you know What, what do I expect here? With this token yeah. stuff, a lot of VCs made money selling dog shit basically and cashing out and dumping it on the public which ended up being worthless so yeah to me a lot of that stuff is low-level fraud to me oh yeah classify as like legal fraud but i think those are the people that got away with it and the people that didn't get away with it the ones like the spf and elizabeth holmes who just went crazy and tried to you know become a bajillionaire off like fakery basically and serves them right for being caught but to me there's still a bunch of small fish who did a lot of small fish stuff that to be honest i don't believe to be moral or correct it's a sliding scale isn't it because there are some people that just genuinely were giving no value whatsoever. And there are some people who are kind of giving like elements of value, maybe not the full value that they promised to, but they're still doing something. And I don't know, I think one of the biggest things that we've learned this year is how regulation especially needs to happen quicker within the financial technology space, right? Because I think that's where we probably saw the most direct and obvious just abuses of 
asymmetries of information, abuses of power, where exactly like you said, retail investors with a bit of spare cash were not fully educated enough maybe about the true risk of their capital. Mm. And, you know, we've covered on this podcast story before some of the, you know, horror stories that have come out of like Robin Hood community, other trading communities, young people in some cases you know, taking their own lives or dying by suicide. And it's just, it shows that there's still so much work for us to do here. And I don't think that it's just going to go anywhere. You know, I actually think that thinking about this crypto winter, thinking about the collapse of FTX, what are going to be those second order effects, third order effects, four order effects? I mean, I remember the last credit crunch in the last recession, but it felt like almost every day there was a story of somebody who had died, you Mm. know, by suicide because their life as they had entered it was no longer happening. And, you know, we talk about toxic masculinity. We talk about gender roles. We talk about feminism on the show a lot. We don't talk about the fact that a lot of men are in this role of provider, protector. They make a few gambles, they don't pay off, and now they feel isolated and alone and they've got nowhere to go. And I think financial technology is a place where we really need to be like the most careful because that just seems to be where like some of the biggest problems are happening. Hey listeners, when was the last time you heard someone say it's almost too easy when talking about a piece of tech? Probably never, right? Because tech usually isn't easy. Tech is usually too complicated, too busy, and too frustrating when it should be just plain easy. HubSpot CRM platform is ridiculously easy to learn, use, and love as we've loved at the Hustle Crew team headquarters. (laughs) That's because it's a handcrafted, sophisticated system designed for the way teams actually work. Not a bunch of cobbled together tools that don't speak to each other. Super simple, a suite of powerful tools that seamlessly connect your teams and customizable hubs that you can add or subtract as you grow. It's not almost too easy to use. It's easy to use, period, especially for distributed remote teams like mine. So learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. You know, so outside of tech, I had a few more notes I'd written down about this year. And one thing I wrote down was everything comes to an end. I look at the careers of people like Serena, Roger yeah. Federer, possibly now Cristiano Ronaldo. And these are like some Messi? of the greatest. I mean, Messi's probably still going to go for a few more years, but even he's facing the kind of the end as well because time waits for no one. These are all, you know, OG goated athletes that are basically to reach the pinnacle of their, you know, respective fields. But at yeah. the age of late 30s and 40s, you know, they've got to retire. And it, it is an element of sadness. It's a changing of the guard and it's, not, you know, everything comes to an end. I'm kind of relieved that, Although, listen, we're nowhere near these people, but I'm kind of relieved that I'm in a kind of world slash discipline where, like, by my mid to late 30s, I'm not having to consider wrapping it up. And, like, you know, <laughs> business can kind of keep going. You could be like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger into your 90s if you want. I don't want to be like that, but you could be theoretically. But 
do you want to have a say on Serena, like specifically, like on her kind of impact? We had a whole episode kind of talking about that as well, actually. Yeah, I think kind of like similar to what you're saying around how this is the year where you really started to realize things come to an end. In many ways, as childish as it sounds or weird as it sounds, this is also like the year where I kind of realized I, I'm an adult and I'm no longer a child. Yeah, and I know it's like, wow. Wrong, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because I was like, I mean, I think also, you know, trigger warning, losing my dad last year, like helped accelerate that process. Because mm. when you lose the person that you felt like a, a child amongst, you know, that's going to make you feel like that. But yeah, like, I feel like I truly felt like my childhood was over and I was truly an adult, you know, for so many reasons. And like, one of those reasons was also just seeing all my childhood heroes, you know, sunset their careers and just kind of say like, I'm moving on this, that and the other. And I was like, time has truly passed. Time has well and truly passed. Wow. So yeah, I think it was definitely a reflective time and definitely also a time of kind of grief, isn't it? Really just to kind of be like, wow, okay, I'm never going to see that person play anymore. They're not going to dominate this field. I think I only really got into tennis because of the Williams sisters. Like growing up, tennis was not a sport that I saw my parents play, my older siblings play. It wasn't something, I don't think we had a tennis court in our neighborhood. We had like a pool, we had a basketball court, but I didn't see tennis as a sport. It wasn't even something I ever thought about. Then suddenly these two black sisters I can relate to dominate this field and I just thought wow and when I went to boarding school I got so into tennis <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, wow. I was just like damn here I go boom boom watch me slice yeah 100% because watching Serena and Vita so to see Serena retire it really hurt and I think it hurt because she didn't want to retire and I think a lot of us a lot of women felt that injustice of having to choose where it feels like men don't have to choose between work and family, choose between passion and practicality. It feels so difficult having to make those sacrifices, or it feels difficult knowing that you're growing up in a world that doesn't want you to succeed. Look, this is a world where, you know, the country of my birth, the United States, decided to repeal the reproductive rights women like me have yeah. over our bodies. So, like I said, you know, it's just. As you get older, you can't really take the good without the bad. You can't take the bad without the good. And it's hard to just say, like, in simplicity, yes, this was a good year. Yes, this was a bad year. Because, damn, I'm growing up. I'm growing up. And growing up as a woman in 2022, it's not easy. You know what? Speaking of Serena, actually, so I think her venture firm, Serena Ventures, posted a role yeah. on LinkedIn for like a venture associate or analyst, and it literally had like a thousand applications. So there's a lot of people out here that are probably listening well, to the show yes. that want to work. So I'll send you the link in case you want to apply at Bedesi if you want to be a venture associate alongside <laughs> Serena. That'd be a dope role. <laughs> I'd do anything for Serena. I'd be her smoothie maker you just know to what? be exposed no, to, be fair, to that. She's such a winner that it actually probably wouldn't be a fun environment to work in because she actually probably would be like, yo, we've got a work hard here like get it done yeah this is not an instagram photo shoot here like we're here to win so yeah if you're looking for you know easy time i wouldn't recommend working alongside serena williams she's here to win there are certain people i just want to admire them from afar but i don't know if i want to be in their team because yeah like well i was watching like the new kendrick video the other day for count me out and i was like wow he's just like operating on this level of creativity or like a beyonce you know where they're just so obsessed with their craft they'd actually probably be quite neurotic to work for absolutely i mean i'm just thinking about like yeah, how I feel about when I want to take over control of things. And then I can't even imagine what it would be like to be like an artist or a creator where every single detail is that extension of your identity. You'd be like, step aside, let me do it. 
<laughs> just yeah, let me. You know, because the thing is, at that scale, it's like, for example, I might be making a website and I might be like, oh, the button isn't right. The color of the button isn't right. We need to change that. Even though I know yeah. that maybe like, you know, a few thousand people might see it, right? Now imagine you're a Kendrick or you're a Serena where you know that billions of people, tens of millions of people are going to see the end product of what you're doing. I can't imagine right? how the pressure you're going to put on yourself and then by extension, how your employees are going to feel. So yeah, if you want to be around greatness, then go work there. If you don't want to be around greatness, if you haven't got, work, if you haven't got that capability, then yeah, just, just know yourself and, and get a job at Meta or something like that. <laughs> So let's do something that's a uh, bit more lighthearted. Do you have any like content recommendations for the year? Is there been any content that has spoken to you? So this has been a year where I have really just learned to embrace comedy even more than I already did. I'm already someone, I mean, I mentioned it on the show before, sitcoms are like probably my favorite or most consumed format. But this year has just been a year where I've really just tried to, yeah, enjoy comedy and in particular enjoy comedy podcasts. So I think there's been two podcasts that have just been in heavy rotation for me, no matter where in the world I am, no matter what I'm up to, just try to carve out time to listen to these voices as I go through my day, go through a workout, whatever. And the two podcasts are The Antidote Podcast by Gracie and Amy and Grace and Amy, two Friends, two comedy writers. They've written for shows like Insecure, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And it's a chance for them to have an antidote to all the negative energy going out in the world. So they share what's happening in their life, what they're doing to make themselves feel good. And they interview guests who are often comedians as well. So mm. it's just like incredibly, incredibly like hilarious and, and fun to listen to. And in that same theme, I've discovered Nicole Byer who's also an amazing comedian. And she has a podcast called Why Won't You Date Me? Which is like partly her rambling monologues about her life in the city and also asking their guest stuff. And it's just so good. And then that third thing, and then I'll pass the mic. I very rarely buy content on YouTube. I have YouTube premium already. And I'm just in general, like already giving too much money to software. I'm just like, (laughs) I need to subscription down. But anyway, this year I was just like, do you know what? I actually really want to watch the show and it's not available in my region any other way. So I'm just going to buy it on YouTube. And that's the Black Lady Sketch Show, which is exactly as it describes Sketch Show (laughs) (laughs) with a bunch of amazing black women in it. Hunter Bronson's in it. Lots of really good people are in it. And I've just rewatched that so many times. In the dark times, you got to laugh. You got to laugh. You got to bring yourself up with some levity. So yeah, and I have a prediction that next year with all the you know, doom and gloom, content is going to swing to really cheesy, happy, saccharine escapism. Because I think we had a period of economic excess, you know, 2020 came with actually a lot of economic abundance, despite a lot of really sad healthcare stuff happening all around. And art became really dark, right? And dystopian over the last few years. And I think it's just going to swing back the other way, because I think when the world becomes dark, art becomes light. (laughs) And when the world is light, art becomes dark. (laughs) So yeah, let's see. Yeah, you know what? It's so funny you mentioned that because I think so many of my mm. standout shows are literally super dystopian, super about fraud, super about... I think fraud is the key theme, especially from what we were saying earlier and my concept recommendations yeah. or what I enjoyed. So obviously there was the dropout completely about Elizabeth Holmes, you know, yeah. fraud. We crashed another one about We Work, great show, completely about fraud. The Tinder Swindler. Do you remember the Tinder Swindler? Oh, yes. Yeah. That was all the way back in the beginning of 2022, that guy. Throwback, early 2022. <laughs> the crazy thing about my man is that he actually went on Cameo, the app where you can charge people to do videos, and he made a boatload of money. He made a wow. boatload of money. He was a complete son of a bee, and he was a complete fraudulent person. But people just wow. found him to be so meme-worthy and so entertaining that like, they gave him money. That it was, number one, the most insane thing ever. Wow. 
And then this show was from the end of 2021, but I started watching it this year, I think, which was Dope Sick, which is about basically the opiate crisis and the fraud. Yes. Basically about how that was perpetuated, how this large company owned by the Sackler family got America addicted to opiates, basically to heroin, basically. And it was all prescribed legally and people became addicted and it ruined countless lives and it's still going on to this day. And then on the flip side, obviously I'm going to pick up Cobra Kai season five. This is my kind of (laughs) lighthearted, you know, just forget the world kind of show. It's super cheesy. If you didn't really grow up on a karate kid, you're not really going to like it but that's my kind of fan favorite so those are my kind of content recommendations very heavy on the fraud very heavy on the kind of scammers and mm. i don't know what that says about society i think i don't know it's crazy i don't know i think it says that well the weakest can't help a good deal <laughs> even if it's yeah, not a good deal <laughs> well, do you know what will actually stand out for me what actually will stand out for me in in 2022 just thinking about like black culture and pop culture and all that kind of stuff i think one of the things that will stand out for me is rihanna's baby bump reveal okay uh, <laughs> Do you remember that photo shoot? I don't remember that photo shoot. Unfortunately, no, unfortunately not. This is a year of like creative, like baby bump reveals. So it was Rihanna decked out in the snow with ASAP with her. It was like a wintry day in January. Yeah, January of this year in New York, I think. So, you know, they stepped out all decked out, looking hot, looking fresh, all jeweled up, bump out. I mean, I guess the baby wasn't cold, but it was (laughs) like all frosty around them. So that was nice. And then we had Kiki Palmer who featured in, Nope. If anybody went out and saw that Jordan Peele's latest movie, she hosted Saturday Night Live and Kiki Palmer did her bump reveal during her SNL opening monologue. So it was the year of creative bump reveals. reveals. It was also the year of the slap. (laughs) Oh my days. How can she slap? And you know exactly what I mean that I just need to say the slap and you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, that was top 10 most secondhand embarrassing moments of you know, just yeah, just cringe. I just, I still can't get over if that really happened. I remember waking up that next day and seeing that on the news and just being like, what? Like, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a meme. <laughs> I didn't understand what everyone was talking about. And when I saw the yeah. footage, I was just still stunned and shocked. I actually read Will Smith's autobiography this year, actually, as well. And yeah, he's a very tormented guy. Like when I read this autobiography, he is very mm. warts and all. He's very transparent about his kind of traumas and the weird relationship that he had with his dad, who was quite a bit of a tyrant and how he never really wanted to ever fail. And how, you know, Will Smith to us in the public growing up was a very lighthearted, carefree, fun loving guy. And that's the Will Smith that we yes. love. But that's not actually Will Smith. That's not actually him. He actually was a very super disciplined person to the point when I think when Independence Day went to number one, his team was like exhausted and his family kind of disliked him. And he was like, what's wrong? Like, I'm number one. I just had my fourth box office number one. And like, he was quite a, like, I don't know how to explain it because his dad was a military dad. So he was quite similar also in terms of like discipline and hard work. And like, you don't become Will Smith based on fluke. Basically, you super have to want it and you super have to like grind to get, become the number one star in the world. Um, Definitely. But there was that juxtaposition between his real self and the public persona. And I think it just all came crashing down on that day. And I don't know if his career is going to recover. I don't think as a black man, you have that freedom to make a mistake like that and then get away with it just ironic that like the person like dissing the woman with alopecia or whatever isn't the bad guy but the person slapping him for dissing her is but you make that's the world y'all you make a mistake and hit someone on tv you lose all sympathy that's the thing like that's why it's unhinged like everyone could have been like if you went backstage or when he won an award just went up and said my wife is beautiful how dare you 
whatever, whatever. I, I dedicate this to her. Everyone would have been like, Will Smith, what a guy. He defended his wife valiantly, but just to go up and hit a guy on TV, like in front of billions of people, like you can't do that. Like it's unhinged. Like you just lost the plot. Like even if you agree with it morally, it's like be clever about it. Like don't just like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do it backstage, bro. Like I'm not against slap sometimes, but do it backstage if you're going to do it. Anyways, I digress. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's a hell of a moment. That's been this week's Techish, our Tech-ish. 2020 year in review. Let us know if we missed any big stories. If anything spoke yes. to you, kind of thing this year that you think is techish, hashtag techish at techish pod, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. Bye.